you don't get to be you anymore. It's all about promoting every damn thing that's going on in church, encouraging people to be involved in church activities to the point where they're always there and putting on this plastic persona that emanates an air of spiritual authority and perfection. They tried to frame evangelical ministry as an earthly heaven where you're going to be so well appreciated and you're going to be so well taken care of and you're going to get a salary and a free place to live and they're going to take care of everything that you need to be successful. Well, guess what? Most churches out there aren't going to do any such goddamn thing. It took me a while to get to a point where I just stopped looking past the flaws and started understanding that they were important, that they were things that I needed to take into account. You will learn precisely what it means to die to yourself, even if that means your health, your relationships, and your finances completely tank. Welcome to Unbound, a podcast for new atheists and lifetime atheists, ex-evangelicals, truth seekers and free thinkers there is life after faith and life here is good it's time for a new perspective and a better conversation i'm spider and i'm shell and it's time to get unbound so we're doing things just a little bit differently tonight ladies and gentlemen we've kind of had a week around here in spider and shell's household um the creeping crud has made its way into these walls uh, no, not COVID, thankfully, but uh, let's just say that the spider was down with the sickness earlier this week, nasty stomach virus that just kind of had me immobilized for a day or so. And tonight, well, it's Shell's turn. So for the first time, I find myself sitting here, not looking at anyone sitting across the table from me and it feels odd, but she needs a break and I'm happy to just take the helm on this one. Because honestly, this subject tonight is one that's pretty personal to me. And I really want any young person out there who is even remotely considering going into the ministry or going into Bible college in the fall to just prop up a seat. We're going to have a little fireside chat about what the ministry really looks like. So you want to be a pastor? Well, hopefully by the time we're done, I'll at least have you thinking a little bit more about it, you know. I would love in this particular instance to grab a few starfish and throw them back into the surf because just to give you a thumbnail sketch before we get into the whole conversation, I'm now 50 years old and it took me this long to recover from the damage that this one decision when I was 15 years old has actually done in my life and no one, and I mean no one, I don't care who you are, I don't care what your background is. I don't care what influences that you've had on your life. No one deserves to lose decades of their life and untold amounts of money and prosperity and comfort and wellness and all of the things that come along with the stability of having a good job or career. No one deserves to sacrifice that for something as idiotic and silly and nonsensical as Bible college and evangelical ministry. So we're going to get into an in-depth conversation about that in just a bit. But, you know, I even came up with a truncated Christians behaving badly segment for you tonight, because this is a subject that I actually take very personally. We're going to talk about the attack on the Satanic Temple in Salem. This happened on June 10th, so just about a week ago. 
And when I first heard about this, I, you know, I, of course I was concerned because the Satanic Temple, you know, regardless of what you want to think about its moniker, is an important and invaluable organization when it comes to the fight for free speech. And the fact that this happened to them, a group of people that does so much good in the world, it, it angered me. And the details surrounding it angered me even worse. So let's get into that story as we start this thing off tonight. They're devil worshipers. It means they need to be wiped out. This was the justification brought by Daniel Damien Lucy for his actions on June 10th. And without delving into the irony of his middle name, all I can say is that this is the kind of extreme thinking that gets instilled in people when they are influenced to act and not think, to follow hackneyed rhetoric instead of pursuing the truth. And it is just one more example of how evangelical thinking, white evangelical thinking more appropriately, because that's what this is, also steers toward hatred of anything that they don't understand. To put it plainly, the Satanic Temple is not, nor has it ever been, a religious organization. It is an organization that fights for the rights of all people's voices to be heard and for equal time in the arena of free speech. And they do it with an eloquence and grace that rivals any other form of protest I've seen in the area of First Amendment liberty. These people are the definition of patriots. They believe in the founding documents of this country, and they hold the feet of those who so grossly misinterpret them pardon the term in this context, but to the fire. So the simple fact that someone could perpetrate something so heinous on an organization like this, it just absolutely makes my blood boil. This person literally walked up to their front door, doused the property with lighter fluid, dropped a backpack with God knows what in it at the front stoop and just lit shit on fire and walked away. But it gets even worse. And we'll get into some of the more rage-inducing details of this in just a minute. But just on a personal note, I feel so much for Lucian Greaves and the people who were inside the temple. And it's just a few. It was a very small number of people that were inside. But I feel for anyone who was involved with this directly or indirectly, when, especially when the chaos started. Because if Daniel Damien Lucy accomplished anything that people who think like him could call heroic, he succeeded in bringing upon that group of people the one thing that drives and motivates people who think like him. And that thing is fear. No matter what this religion doles out, the use of fear and intimidation are the only effective weapons they have in their arsenal. He didn't succeed in burning the place down, but he was arrogant enough to just take a stroll around the corner and come back to admire his handiwork. Only one problem. They already had him on camera, and the police recognized him immediately. The notion of consequence is at best an afterthought in these people's minds when they do things like this. I'm also sitting here savoring the irony of him confessing and then standing up in court with all the gall he could muster and pleading not guilty. I don't know how devout this guy is. I mean, any idiot can put on a t-shirt that screams God and hide behind religious zeal as they commit any atrocity they can think up. I don't know when was the last time that this idiot set foot inside a church. What I do know is that somehow, somewhere, these thoughts got into his head and he was fearless about admitting his crime. He thought it was righteous. He thought it was okay. Well, guess what? It was neither. And our legal process must teach him that lesson. 
and the crazy part is that he is going to go to jail and hopefully for a very long time, but I'm not holding my breath given his record so far. But the thing that really gets me about this is that he will march into that building, the bars will slam behind him, and he will lay down on that hard, uncomfortable cot in that six by nine cell and sleep the sleep of angels because at a minimum, he sent a message. And for a brief moment, he was able to instill fear. I mean, he said as much in his statement. He literally said he would not lose any sleep over anyone getting hurt at his hand with this act. Zero conscience, zero deference to any admonition to love his neighbor as himself, zero deference to the fact that his so-called savior was apt to recline at a table with the rabble of his day, many of whom he had moral and philosophical differences with, and simply enjoy a meal with them without setting the goddamn place on fire. We only see two distinct examples of Jesus ever showing a hint of violence in the moment. One where he overturned the tables in the temple gates because people were profiting off of other people's faith, and when he cursed the fig tree for not bearing good fruit. And while I think the latter was a good example of his ecclesiastical genetics, you know, if something bothers you, just kill it. I also think that in this context, that should have been a warning to this asshat about the kind of fruit that should be born in the name of the gospel. But these people never ever, 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 ever get it right. Daniel Lucy clearly regarded his cause as the kind of just war that spurred on the Crusades, the Inquisitions, the Holocaust, and any other atrocity in our history done for the preservation and furtherance of this fundamentally flawed, hate-driven faith that he, I assume, possesses and chose on that day to, in the words of Dr. Ian Malcolm, wield like a kid who just found his dad's gun. The thing that really gets me about this though is that this idiot had a half dozen priors. He had at least six arson attempts to his credit before this happened. How long before they just put his sorry ass away forever? I'm sorry, I'm for rehabilitation and education and all the things that in a perfect world would lead to this person seeing the light and becoming a model citizen. But you cannot undo 42 years of toxic thinking with a few sessions with a prison social worker. You cannot undo decades of learned hate that lead to a total loss of any sense of right and wrong or that leaves a person in a mental state where he won't lose sleep if people die because he fucking killed them. Give him his due process, then do process him into the most appropriate penal institution and leave him there. Because given the chance, he will do this again. He's proved it six fucking times already. I hope that the law works in the favor of the temple and the property and people this person has damaged and takes him out of society for a long, long, long time. But again, if six acts of arson aren't enough to make that happen. I'm not hopeful about number seven, especially given the target that was involved. So I gave you the musical jingle there because there's no graceful way to segue from that into talking about money and self-promotion. So, so just before we get into our main topic, we want to let you know that our Patreon is active at patreon.com slash unbound podcast network and any monetary help that you can give us will be greatly appreciated and put to good use. But if you're not in the position to help us out financially, we understand that completely. You can help us out in all the same ways that we talk about every week, your likes, your shares, your five-star ratings, all the things that help podcasts grow. 
And we thank you in advance for at least considering helping us out with your money. But these ways are much easier, I know. And especially in the instance of this episode, I think that there are people out there who are listening right now who can be integral in a young person's decision to not throw away their future plans for something as silly and pointless as going into the ministry. So next week, I'm going to be mired in, uh, in road test mayhem coming into the next weekend. So we're going to be taking a break and we'll be back on July 3rd with our review of Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. Very appropriate for what we talk about. And I think that the messaging in it is actually pretty solid. I mean, it's a good 90% just sci-fi story, but the remaining 10% has uh, some pretty powerful messaging that I think that you'll enjoy and that will be now in two weeks on July 3rd. can't believe that we are already, on, we're, we're on the cusp of summer here. And by, by the time you hear us again, it will be summer. It'll already be July. I don't know where this year is going, but at least I can say for us and for our family, it's going in good places. So I'm very thankful for that. All the things that have happened just in the last year, it was about a year ago where this opportunity was first presented to me. And it has proved to be a really, really good move. And I'm proud of the work that we're doing. Sorry it takes me away from the mic every uh, every few weeks, but I think that it's forgivable. This is the break that I've been looking for for literal decades, and it's working out well. And we appreciate everyone that comes back every week and lends their support, everyone who shares out the content, everyone who is doing their part to just fling one more of those starfish back into the surf with us every week. We thank you and we hope that you will continue fighting the good fight with us as we continue this thing of ours. And with no further ado, let's get into this discussion about why you really, really, really shouldn't even be thinking about going into the ministry. So the first thing I did when I sat down to research just a few bits for this episode, I mean, it's a subject I know well, but let's face it, it's been 30 years, is how much money a youth pastor in America can expect to make their first year. Now, keep in mind that youth ministry is usually the first stop. It's the, it's the boot camp for more, uh, quote unquote, important ministry related tasks. You know, in a lot of churches, there's a distinct corporate ladder that you have to climb. It starts with either children's or youth ministry. And then in a lot of Pentecostal evangelical settings in particular, you can rise to the title of associate pastor. And then maybe you can have your own department. You can be the music pastor, the uh pastor of counseling, there's all kinds of things. And you keep working your way up until you get that coveted senior pastor position. And that right there for most is the pinnacle of their career when they actually get their own church to shepherd. And many, many pastors don't just pitch their tents in one place forever. Once you become a senior pastor in a smaller church, well, then you're able to look for a position in a larger church where you'll get a little bit more money. You might actually get that late model Cadillac and all the various fairy tales that they'll spin for you in Bible college about what the whole process is going to look like. But getting back to the, the subject of salary, um, the research that I did for this really didn't come up with anything consistent. The answers as to what a first-year youth pastor should expect to be able to make, we're all over the map. 
And I have to wonder if churches who answer surveys or dare to make their records public might not be a little overinflating what they're spending. I mean, just on the first page of Google, I found this wildly variable set of figures. According to churchsalary.com, a first-year youth pastor can expect to make somewhere in the neighborhood of $48,938 average. Salary.com seems to think it's in the six-fucking-figure category, $82,352 to $113,561, with the average base salary of $100,197. What churches are they surveying for this? I mean, there is no youth pastor that I know of who steps out of Bible college and gets handed a job for a hundred grand a year. I don't care who their father is. I don't care what kind of legacy PK they are. This just does not happen. Payscale.com thinks it's around $39,514 and they're less than $200 off from Indeed.com's estimate. ZipRecruiter says that it's around $37,125. So, you know, a little bit of agreement in the same neighborhood here with some of them. Comparably.com puts it at 46,696. Watch out for all those sixes, guys. That's a little suspect. But I found only one source on a first page Google search that was even remotely honest about this. And that was on a site that just calls itself cron.com, C-H-R-O-N. I guess that means chronometer, time clock, whatever. But Um, this was the most honest assessment that I found. In their article, they say, in churches with less than 50 members, youth ministers average about $10,500 a year. With 50 to 100 members, salaries increase to about $20,092, while youth pastors for congregations of 200 to 250 can earn about $41,096 a year. When congregations reach over 2,500 members, a youth pastor can expect to earn at least 48,500 a year. Years of experience in youth ministry also affects pay. For example, youth ministers with fewer than five years experience average 32.5, while those with six to 10 years experience earn between 35 and 45,000. At 11 to 15 years experience, youth ministers earn 48,528 a year on average, With 16 to 20 years experience, a youth minister could earn almost $51,000 to $62,000 a year. So I went through that very fast, so I want to stop on it and get you to think about some of those numbers just for a minute. To put it in perspective for you, there was only one church that offered me anything close to a livable salary uh, my first year out. And at that time, in 1992-93, looking at a youth pastor salary of $35,000, you'd hit the jackpot. And I found exactly one place that was willing to pay even close to that. And there were issues there that I'm going to get into in a little while. But let's look at these numbers. Let's look at the averages and the amount of time that you have to spend in just, this is just youth ministry. And for the record, pretty much nobody spends 20 years in youth ministry. I mean, there are those who do. There are some who believe that that is their main and primary calling, and they do it until they're 70 or 80. But most youth pastors are usually good for somewhere between five and 10 years before they try to make their way up that ladder just a little bit more. So let's look at the time spans involved here. Six to 10 years experience, $35,000, 35 to $45,000. So What were they making 10 years ago? Well, guess what? 
they were in that maybe $10,000 category that they use as a base. 11 to 15 years experience, you get up to 48 thousand ish dollars so with 10 years experience you can make up to 45 add five years to that and you're only three thousand dollars more ahead of the game in five years with 16 to 20 years that goes up again another paltry two thousand to if you're very 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 lucky another twelve thousand dollars for basically another decade of your life devoted to this So think about all that for just a few minutes and also think very, very long and hard about this. The churches with numbers in the 50 to 150 category are out there in the highest numbers and no mega church is going to hire you as a youth pastor with zero experience and turn you loose on a youth group of 5,000. Unless you're a legacy or a PK with a pastor in a sizable church, you are starting out at the bottom and young person $10,000 is nothing. And the truth of the matter is you are likely to be paid less, much, much, much less, like $0 and zero cents less. Let's look at that $10,000 figure for a minute and keep in mind that the federal minimum wage is just pennies over $15,000 a year before taxes. Churches can skirt this by tagging on anything and everything they do for you as part of your salary or simply marking you as part-time and making it look like they're paying you minimum wage. So here's some of the ways that they pad your quote-unquote salary. If they invite you to a church luncheon, they can tag on a dollar amount and count what you ate as part of your salary. I swear I have heard of this happening. Never happened to me, but I've heard of it. If you request money to purchase things for your ministry... They can tag that on without ever even telling you, unless they release their annual report and there are ways to hide it in that too. And in many cases, you are on your own to buy those things anyway. If you go back to episode 11 of this show, you're going to hear the sad, sordid story of my one year in organized ministry. And it was with a church that I will only refer to as Mission Impossible because that's what they were. They were an impossible bunch of assholes who had absolutely no idea what the gospel message was about and no clear vision of what their mission really should have been. Whenever I needed anything for my youth ministry that first year, Mission Impossible's solution was to tell me to take an offering. Well, Now, of course, I'm figuring if I'm buying snacks and things for a youth group meeting and I'm paying for them out of pocket, if I'm taking an offering for these things, well, that money becomes mine, right? Oh, no, 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 no. They were actually giving that offering to the church and I had to hand that money over to the church. Now, keep in mind, this is money that I was owed back because I paid for these things out of pocket. But because I was collecting this money on behalf of the church, It then belonged to the church. So I had to hand it over and then ask for a reimbursement. And to this day, I was never reimbursed for anything that I spent money on. So after a while, I just stopped. I said, hey, guys, you know, if you want snacks and things for after youth group, it's going to be potluck from now on. You're going to need to bring your own because after several attempts to get these people to do the right thing and having them never turn around and do the right thing and give me my own fucking money back. I just decided it wasn't worth spending the money out of pocket and making it more difficult for me to keep gas in my tank and pay my bills so that these kids could have Mountain Dew and Cheetos, you know? So 
after a while, I just told them, hey, you want this stuff? Then it's going to be up to you to bring it. And they justified taking my money, at least initially, by telling me that I'd never made a specific request for the funds and that any money that came in was going to be allocated to the ministry. I couldn't recoup any of it. Fortunately, once the coffers got a little fuller with these offerings, I didn't have to spend out of pocket anymore, but a large percentage of the money in that fund was money that I had indirectly put into it. So basically, I was funding the youth ministry and never saw anything in return. So now that I've kind of opened the door to my own experiences here, let's talk a little bit more about some of the others now that I've actually steered things in that direction. So newsflash, I'm a person, not an algorithm, and I can tell it to you straight. The likelihood that the first church that hires you will pay you anything is slim, and the ones that have the money to spend on a youth pastor are going to expect you to work until you're half dead to have it. And if they don't have the money to pay you, you'll be expected to be at their beck and call and hold down a job or two or three to pay your bills. And this type of situation encompassed the majority of opportunities that were presented to me. And here's just a small sampling of things that I experienced interviewing for youth pastor positions and in the days that led up to the beginning of that process. Let's talk first about how I spent my internship. Now, to be fair, most pastoral internships are in fact unpaid. Most internships in general are unpaid, which I find personally somewhere between annoying and just downright nefarious. If someone's doing work for you that's going to result in you making money, you owe them something. It's that simple. But here is what things looked like for me in the summer of 1992. I was granted a salary. They had the audacity to call this a salary. I got a salary of $125 a week before taxes. And for that $125 a week, I was sometimes working up to 16 hours a day. Now, the average was more around 10, but I also sometimes worked seven days a week. To be fair, I got most Mondays off with the rest of the pastoral staff, but if there was an event or special meeting or whatever that was going on on a day that I was supposed to have off, guess what? I had to be there. So over the course of a 16-week internship, with all the time that I was putting in, even if you just averaged it to 10 hours, and I honestly, if I really sat down and crunched those numbers, I'm guessing that it would have come out to just a little bit more per day, but In 16 weeks, I barely cleared four figures before taxes, and it was good and far below after taxes. At the very end of my internship, I was then invited to speak to the 14% of the congregation that was foolish enough to attend an evening service, you know, not the morning service with 500 people that would have netted a much better offering, mind you. The evening service was all that I was worthy of, and That evening service was attended by about 75 idiots who had nothing better to do on a Sunday night. And the offering that they collected for me came out to about $300. So let's say close-ish to three weeks, but not really scratching the surface there. And uh, that was before my mandatory tithe. I walked away from that experience with, you know, and, and to be perfectly honest, I was treated well. You know, it was my home church. And I was working with people who, at least at the time, I really honestly believed had my back. So it was difficult, but it was not what I would consider to be a bad experience. 
I was just really badly compensated. And that was kind of a sticking point for me, but I had been taught not to focus on the money aspect of these things. They're so clever. They're so clever in the way that they try and make you think about this. Like you're somehow not worthy of any kind of return for the effort that you put into keeping your church running and keeping those fucking tithes coming in. But I did walk away from that experience with a lot of doubt over a lot of things that happened that summer because I've always been a thinking person. And there were a lot of things that I saw that were major, major, major red flags, especially when uh, district council came through. District council of the Assemblies of God for New York State was, uh, was held at my home church that summer while I was interning. And boy, oh boy, oh boy, did I get myself some red fucking flags during that process. Major, major red flags. I have no idea how after experiencing some of the things that I did in just that week or so that I managed to muster up the courage to go back to that sorry excuse for a college, the second worst college in America for return on investment. That's not my opinion. You can go directly to Forbes magazine for that. But um, in 2013, University of Valley Forge, a.k.a. Valley Forge Christian College, which is where I went, was listed by Forbes magazine as the second worst fucking school in America that you could go to. And I dragged myself back there. I pulled myself up by my bootstraps and tried to convince myself that what I saw in other people and all the red flags that I had encountered had nothing to do with me. I was capable of making a difference. Oh, you know what? It would be so wonderful to be that young again and to have those kinds of pie in the sky ideas. But I've seen too much of life to be able to subscribe to anything like that anymore. There was no possible way that I was going to make good of a situation this bad. And that's just the way that it was. But I went back. In the fall, I went back to school and began the process of finding a postgraduate position. I still remember some of these interviews like they happened yesterday, just based on the way that I was talked to, looked at the attitudes of some of these people. Just to give you an idea, I did an initial interview with a church in Rockaway, New Jersey, where the senior pastor who only seemed, he seemed to be like not that much older than I was. He sat there and, you know, he asked me all kinds of questions and I kind of got a real smarm vibe off of him, but he was successful. And I convinced myself that regardless of how I felt about this guy, he was successful and there were things I could learn from him. And, you know, I made the exact same mistake with the senior pastor at Mission Impossible. I did not like him. I got the same vibe off of him and I made the same goddamn excuses. And it cost me a year of my life and all kinds of post-traumatic stress. And, you know, it took me a while to get to a point where I just stopped looking past the flaws and started understanding that they were important, that they were things that I needed to take into account. But this guy was the first in that line. And I just, you know, I got excited because I figured, you know, he seemed to like me. He seemed to think that there was something that I could bring to the table with that youth group. But all the while, all the while, and I found this out just a couple of days later, he could not get his mind off of my shoes. Here come the shoes again. Listen to episode five and six. Here come the shoes again, okay? So I've always had orthopedic issues. I've had seven operations to correct club feet, and I've always needed some kind of special um, 
special footwear so that I could be comfortable and I could walk and, you know, these horribly hammered toes of mine would have some place to go. So when I showed up in my orthopedic shoes, it was all this guy could think about anymore. Even through the entire conversation, it was as if no words were being spoken. And the only thing that was going on in this guy's head was shoes, 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 shoes. Because when our ministry director called him to follow up, that was precisely what he told him. That was the precise reason that he was given for why I was no longer being considered for that position. And he said, and I quote, when you walk into an interview, it's important to put your best foot forward. And that was far from anyone's best foot or feet. Direct quote. So, you know, I'm not quite sure what value my shoes brought to my desire to work with young people. But apparently this guy was a lot more about image than he made himself out to be. And uh, again, I really, really should have taken a few cues from the next guy that presented himself like that because I wound up working for him. Um, I was basically a bond slave to him for a year and there were all kinds of problems that arose. So you know what? This guy was the canary in the coal mine and I really, really should have listened to some of my own intuitions about him at the time and I didn't. And this is what he came back with. I mean, the whole goddamn time, the only thing he could think about was my shoes. Then there was the guy who came in and was he was very gung-ho. I think that he actually really wanted me to go work with his church. He was not a bad guy, but he was another one of these guys whose brains were so addled by the Kool-Aid that it was difficult to have a relationship with him. And uh, I also believe that he was some kind of a stroke victim or something else was going on with him. He had some kind of neurological issue because he could barely shake my hand. He carried himself like he was already on his last legs. And it was no surprise to me when he came out with this pitch that included me taking over the church in a couple of years. Now, I was specifically there to interview for a youth ministry position. I was nowhere near ready to shepherd an entire flock, even though this church was small. It was pretty small, but they were offering a modest salary that would jump to what his salary was when I took the place over in a couple of years. And here's the other problem. The average age of the person in that congregation was well over 50. So even at just 21 years of age or, or shy of 21 years of age, I sat there thinking to myself, so you're going to take this job and in a couple of years, the church is going to die of natural causes. And it just did not strike me as the type of opportunity that a 20-year-old should be pursuing. And I asked him how many people were in this youth group. Uh, there were currently three teenagers, and two of them were on their way off to college. So when there was no youth group anymore, I was supposed to be the pastor of this church. And what was his salary after all the years that he spent in ministry? And literally giving all of himself to this because this guy was done. He was he was tired, he was weary, he was burned out. And the salary that I was offered when I took over, which I was told would be equal to what he was making after all the years that he put in, was just barely $40,000 a year. But I knew that it would be short-lived. You know, I mean it sounded like a good idea, but number one, that wasn't what I believed my calling was at the time. And I also knew that, you know, 
I would get used to having a certain level of lifestyle and then the bottom was going to drop out of it. So, you know, I gracefully declined that offer and was then chastised for declining the offer. It's like, look, I know what I feel like I need to be doing here. And I'm not just going to take any assignment that comes along just because it's an assignment. It has to be something that aligns with what I'm trying to accomplish and what I believe the Lord wants me to uh, wants me to do, be doing here. But our ministry director was not very happy with me. The pastor of that church was disappointed to say the least, and I felt bad for him. But I just couldn't see the way clear to put myself in that position. I had nothing in common with those people. What were they thinking bringing a 20-year-old in to try and, uh, to try and shepherd 50, 60, 70, and 80-year-olds? It just wasn't something that was going to work out, and I knew it. And I didn't want to subject that congregation to the irrelevance that would have come with someone who was anywhere between 30 and maybe even 50 or 60 years their junior would bring to the table. Those two are the ones that stick out most predominantly in my mind. There were others. And, you know, most of them were not anything that... uh, they weren't anything memorable, to be perfectly honest. There, there were a lot of uh, cookie-cutter kind of churches and cookie-cutter pastors and cookie-cutter search committees and all of the things that go along with it. And, you know, the, the whole interviewing thing became a road exercise after a while. But there, there were some running threads. And here are some of the things that, uh, that I noticed in that process. Almost everyone who interviewed me had questions about whether I was engaged, when I expected to get married, and what my wife brought to the table. I was told I was being rude when I asked one of them if they intended to hire us both and pay us both, given the sheer number of questions about things like whether or not she played piano or if she intended to work outside the church, those kinds of things. And I asked them, if you want to know these things, why didn't you ask her to be present? And I was told that I was being rude, and that was the end of my consideration for that particular position. The one well-paying position that I applied for, the one that I talked about a little while ago, it uh, paid about $35,000 a year with free housing. That, That was huge. That was absolutely huge. But it was with a church whose youth pastor was being disciplined out because his wife had an affair. You know, his wife fucks somebody else, so now he doesn't deserve his job anymore because clearly he's not doing his his job as the priest and head of his household if his wife is spreading her legs for the dentist she works for. Um, and uh, these people put Shell in the hot seat over the whole working outside the church thing. And now in 1993, $35,000 plus housing would have gotten us far, no doubt. But, but we would have been under such a microscope, especially my wife. And I didn't want that. And to be perfectly honest, it would have been good for us financially, but in no other way. And to be perfectly honest, I was relieved that we didn't get that one. Then there were the Utica crazies. This was an AG church in Utica, New York, that was pastored by this couple that just had some of the most wigged out, antiquated ideas about everything. This was another one where, you know, modern praise and worship wasn't allowed. It was all hymns. And we actually spent a weekend with these people. And this was the longest weekend of my entire fucking life. I remember coming back before I had to speak in church that Sunday. Uh, Shell and I got back to our hotel. They paid for it. But um, we got back to our hotel 
And I think she was the first one to speak up on this. She's like, are, are you having a bad feeling about this? And I said, I'm having a really, really bad feeling about this. But we're in the middle of it. And they have done this, that, and the other for us this weekend. Let's just get tomorrow done and be done with it. So I did. And I was not offered that position. And again, very relieved. And a few weeks later, the very last, the very last interview that I, that I went on, this, this particular one actually happened after Mission Impossible. It was the one and only interview that I went on after Mission Impossible. And this was with a guy whose, uh, his, his church was not tiny, but it wasn't big, about 350 or so people. And he had uh, several decades in, in ministry. I actually kind of thought this guy was cool, but I also thought that he was, you know, he, he was a few suds short of a six pack. You know what I mean? And I could tell that he had a real caustic anger streak in him too. So I obviously had my misgivings about that one as we were going through the process. But honestly, it, seemed like one of the better uh, situations that I could find myself in. So of course, you know, it was one of the ones that I started um, banking on just a little bit. And then with no warning whatsoever, I get a phone call that, uh, you know, he, he just decided that he didn't quote, feel right in his spirit about bringing me on. It's like, well, dude, we practically have the same personality. What is it that you're looking for here? But honestly, at that point, I didn't care. And that was the last time I was, I was exhausted at that point after a year at Mission Impossible and then going through all of this bullshit that, uh, that led up to this one and only interview. I was just, I was done. You know, I, I was, I had cataloged in my mind all the things that had happened. And I just said, you know, this, this just, it's, it's something that I need to put on the back burner for a little while, because like, like I mentioned earlier, I was in fact working three jobs when I was working for Mission Impossible. But since uh, since I kind of jumped over that year, I, we have a whole episode on it, so I'm not going to get into a lot of the details. You can listen to episode 11 and, and really get the straight shit on what that looked like. If you really want to know just how poorly some churches, and they're not the only ones guilty of this, I'm sure, but if you want to know how poorly some churches treat their first-year youth pastors, episode 11 is a good primer. And because my position was unpaid, as I said, um, every attempt that I made to try and get them to do anything for me was met with opposition every step of the way, right down to not even providing me with a stipend so I could fucking eat for the weekend that I took these kids to, uh, to Syracuse for the annual youth convention. I wasn't worthy of any of it. And just to put it in perspective, after I left, the position remained open for a while. And then the person that they brought in after me was granted a salary in the high 30s, but he was also part of their microculture. He had grown up in the church and had a history of not so exemplary behavior before he got serious about his walk. And then all of a sudden he was worthy of being their youth pastor with a title and everything. You know, I'm, I'll, I'll reference that a little bit more as we go along here. But if you are right now in the process of preparing to go to, a, to go away to Bible college, let me clue you into some of the fairy tales that you're going to be told about what 
ministry life is like. You're going to be told tales about clothing allowances and book allowances and travel allowances and rent-free parsonages and church-supplied vehicles for work and personal use, expenses paid conferences for every facet of your ministry so that you can grow and be better. And they'll talk about more. They'll talk about much, much more. And uh, let me tell you, I don't know what sources they were pulling from when they were telling us all this shit. Um, they probably just knew that it was shit and that there were there was no other way that they could keep us motivated to do this other than tell us more fairy tales, you know, like they do with things like heaven. And that was how they tried to frame this. They tried to frame evangelical ministry as an earthly heaven where, you know, you're going to be so well appreciated and you're going to be so well taken care of. And you're going to get a salary and a free place to live. And they're going to take care of everything that you need to be successful. Well, guess what? Most churches out there aren't going to do any such goddamn thing. But here's what you will get if you decide to throw your life away on this. For starters, any sense of self you ever had will be consumed with the work of your ministry. You don't get to be you anymore. It's all about promoting every damn thing that's going on in church, encouraging people to be involved in church activities to the point where they're always there and putting on this plastic persona that emanates an air of spiritual authority and perfection. You aren't allowed to be tired. You aren't allowed to have an opinion about anything. And if you get on the wrong side of just one board member, they will make your life a living, breathing hell until you quit. But if God doesn't tell you to quit, you'll just keep putting up with it and putting up with it and putting up with it until the board asks for your resignation. More on that concept later. For the record, I didn't wait for God to tell me to quit Mission Impossible. I quit because there was no more good for me to do there. I took my cues from the book itself. I shook their dust from my sandals and moved on. God never voiced his opinion about it one way or another. So just tuck that one away too. You will basically be a bond slave to whatever church that you work for. Now, again, I was working three part-time jobs outside the church. And, and the reason why I was working three part-time jobs was because I couldn't take anything full-time because full-time would conflict with what I had to do at church. So I got three jobs that I could use to fill in the gaps for when I wasn't at church. Then the opportunity arose for me to restart a regular gig at the radio station in Kingston. I had to convince the board to let me take it because the open slot was Sunday evenings from six to midnight. And the question arose of how are you supposed to be a youth pastor here if you're only going to be in church half the time? I still see that arrogant piece of shit saying this to me, sitting there with his arms folded in that that um, that 70s porn mustache of his looking up at me, smacking his lips and saying those words to me. I can see it clear as day. And my response was this. I at this point, I was just fed up because these people weren't paying me and now they're trying to make it impossible for me to make any decent amount of money. And let me tell you, the money that I was making at that radio station was one, one and a half times. It was about one and a half times what any other employer out there was paying at the time. So my time, the time that I spent behind that mic was for the time and where my head was about money at the time, it was pretty damn lucrative. And here was this one asshole trying to keep me from having it. So 
I can remember my response like it was yesterday too. I, I looked at him and I said, well, you know what? Last I heard, I wasn't the youth pastor here. I'm a youth director. And youth director is in fact a lay position and a volunteer position. And I also recall being told that by fall, I'd be getting some level of compensation for the work that I'm doing here, quote, at least covering my rent, unquote. Well, guess what? It's November and you've provided me with nothing but excuses. You don't reimburse me for the things that I spend money for out of pocket. You try and tell me that anything that I paid for now belongs to the church so you keep taking money away. You're giving me absolutely nothing in return for the work that I do here. And uh, just for the record, 100% of your volunteer department heads in this church work. Why? Because they have to. And guess what? I have bills too. And I literally just sat there and folded my hands, shrugged my shoulders inside, and I said, so if you'd prefer... I'll just leave my post completely effective right now and go back to radio as a regular gig because I see what I do there as ministry work too. And I'm actually compensated for the work that I do there. And I'm constantly turning down other work there because it conflicts with what I'm doing here. And with all due respect, the worker is worthy of his hire. I'm taking the offer and you are welcome to accept my decision or accept my resignation. And they weren't in a position to do that. They, they didn't want to explain to the rest of the church that they lost their youth director because they tried to hold him captive as an indentured servant. They didn't want to have to admit that. So I got to do my Sunday night gig. And to be honest, I wasn't remotely worried about the decision. It wouldn't have even fucked with my reputation because if word had gotten out that I had basically rage quit because this church at the time was independent. It went AG a little while later, but uh, these were a bunch of AG fence sitters that didn't tip over to the AG side until several years after I left. And at the point where this conversation took place, they would have been considered a mongrel organization and anything negative they had to say about me would be taken with a huge grain of salt within real AG circles. If another potential church, quote unquote, employer, even bothered to contact them in the first place, which they probably wouldn't have because the AG is just that arrogant. If you're not a member of their club, they don't give a fuck what you think about anything. So the way I saw it, these people were never going to pay me a dime. So if they sent me packing, I'd actually be making the exact same amount of money because all of my jobs were outside the church. And I would have also liberated a good 30 hours of my week by not having to go there. And Without the 25-minute commute, I'd be keeping more of my money, too, because that travel allowance they promised us in Bible college didn't apply to this place. I was paying for that gas out of pocket all by myself. So I actually would have been in a much better financial position because I could then have also taken more work at the station, too. So, you know, their, their arrogance and their pride really wound up shooting them in the foot with that one because I don't think that anyone sitting at that table expected me to stand up for myself the way that I did. And there were several people around that table that really, really didn't like it. And that wasn't the beginning of my problems there, but boy, oh boy, did it add fuel to the overall fire. So I'm going, I'm going to steer away a little bit again from personal experience and talk in more hypotheticals, things that I have 
witnessed and not maybe directly experienced, but definitely witnessed. Uh, let's talk about when church leadership changes. Now, the youth pastor that I've talked about many times on this show, this was somebody that I loved like a brother and still do. I know that there's no possible way we would ever get along anymore. I know there's no way that we could even sit down and have a dialogue anymore because of the way that I think and the places that my life has gone. And he would never understand. He would never accept it. And that's okay. Um, to this day, I... I hold him in very high regard and love him as a brother, but I know that there's no possible way that a relationship could uh, still be there at this point. But I watched something absolutely heinous happen to him when the leadership in our home church changed. So after a really, really long and faithful career, our senior pastor decided that he was going to retire. And he died just a couple years after that. When he left, the person that they brought in was someone that I recognized well as a high-profile youth pastor and youth evangelist in the district. And someone who, from the standpoint of a youth pastor and youth evangelist, I really liked. Well, this dude turned out to be a world-class prick. And worse than I could have ever thought or imagined about him. To make a very long, very sad very rage-inducing story short, he turned right around and fired my youth pastor, who at that point was the associate pastor. He had kind of moved up the ladder, and we had another youth pastor who I actually also liked a lot, but didn't work with anywhere near as much. But uh, there were varying differences of opinions, and the long and the short of it was that my youth pastor, my friend, my brother from another mother was edged out of that position, and it was done in a way that was so unchristlike and so ungodly and so fucking ag. It was one of the many things that I look back at now when, well, I'm not even going to say now. It was one of the things that when I had doubts about whether or not I had done the right thing, just walking away from all of it, I looked at and could say, yeah, you did, because these are not the types of people that you want to be associating with, and these are not the types of people that you want deciding your future. Listen to me, young person. Listen to me right now. There is no one in any Pentecostal evangelical church anywhere of any size, shape, or description that you want steering your future anywhere. Take that line, chew on it for a minute. Do not do not place your future in the hands of someone who has the power to kick you out of a position that you've had for years just because they don't like you and do it in a way that leaves you without any line of support, help, or anything else. You know what my youth pastor, this man that I loved, this man that I just, I, I put all of my trust in as a young person, you know what he wound up having to do to make sure that his entire family didn't tank after this bullshit happened to him and before he found his way back home to daddy, because that's what wound up happening. He went home to work at his home church and eventually moved into a couple of other areas of ministry. But in the interim, he was cleaning offices, you know, and somebody who had the fervor and the zeal for what he was doing 
to only be allowed to experience that on Sundays and have no real involvement in it anymore had to be excruciating for him. And as good a thing as I think it is when things like this collapse, I never, ever, ever, ever wanted to watch things collapse on this person the way that they did. But all it took was one evil senior pastor poisoning the pool within the board. And all of a sudden, this guy who had put in all these years, all this time, all this effort, seemingly doing good for the kids in his youth group and the community in general, because, you know, that's how we all looked at it back then. And that's how he looked at it. And that's why I don't hold any animosity toward him because his intents were always 100% righteous. But it only took one guy poisoning the pool to get an entire board to turn on him and demand his resignation. And young person, hear this, hear it well, and mark my words as you move into that Dorman Bible College, senior pastors will always side with the board to protect their own position, even when they're wrong, even when they're dead fucking wrong, even when they know that you are right, even if they tell you to your face that you are right, put them in the hot seat and they will turn on you like a rabid fucking dog. I watched it happen with my youth pastor and I watched it happen on Bring a Friend Day at Mission Impossible. Oh, young person, please, please, just when you're done with this, rewind back to episode 11 and listen to it and listen to it hard. I beg you, listen to what happened to me because I know I'm not the only one. I know that things like that happen to other other people just like you every single goddamn day out there in this nefarious religion that we call evangelical Christianity. I know that it's happening to more, that my story is not unique. So since I brought it up just a second ago, let's talk for a second about how churches fire pastors. Um, newsflash, churches don't like paying out unemployment benefits. So how do they get around that? If they want you gone, how do they do it so that it doesn't cost them anything? Well, I just hinted at it a few minutes ago. They don't fire you. They demand your resignation because guess what? If you voluntarily vacate your position, you aren't eligible for unemployment in most states and you will be 100% cut off and on your own with no means of supporting yourself and especially if you don't have any other marketable skills because you were convinced to abandon the idea of getting any marketable skills to go to Bible college, you're fucked. You are 100% you are completely, totally fucked. You don't even have a legal leg to stand on at that point because even if you had a valid case, a lot of lawyers aren't going to touch a lawsuit against a church with a 10-meter cattle prod because there are, there's too much red tape to, uh, to machete their way through. So when the board decides they want you gone, they don't fire you. They just ask you to leave and they ask you to leave quietly. Well, I love the way that my youth pastor handled this. And I don't know whether he did it to try to gain a little bit of a legal foothold in the situation or not. I don't think that that was his intent, but he made sure that people knew that it wasn't his decision to leave. And I thought that that was a bold move. I thought that it was a ballsy move. And I just respect the ever-loving shit out of him for having the balls to stand there behind that pulpit and say, 
folks, this isn't my decision. It's something that I've been asked to do, so I'm doing it. And he walked away from church that week. I believe there was some kind of little send-off that the senior pastor did not attend. Within the next couple of weeks, he went to work working for someone in the church cleaning office buildings. That is what your future could hold if you rub your senior pastor the wrong way, if you rub just one member of the board the wrong way, they will get rid of you and they will just leave you out to the dogs. It happens every single day and they get away with it. So think about that as you're looking at your nice glossy brochure for Bible college and thinking about some of the fairy tales that you've already been told about what your future is going to look like because your money isn't yours anymore when you go into the ministry whether your church is paying you or not, they they will demand, at least in AG circles and in other evangelical circles as well, because they all mimic each other. Your money's not your own. You will have to mandatorily tithe either to your church or to the district, or in some cases, both. And I'm talking 20% of your money is gone right there. You are expected to be superhuman. You take on the problems of everyone in the congregation and you have to assume the role of the parent, the counselor, the mediator in relationships, all of it. And whenever things aren't going right in any facet of your ministry, it's your fault and you need to step back and you need to pray. You're wrong to think that your time is valuable because that time now belongs to God. Remember all this stuff about how you have to decrease so that he can increase. It is played out to the nth degree when you decide to go into the ministry. You are not your own person anymore. You have no real identity anymore. You are just this vessel that God is using to do his work. And to that end, you aren't allowed to be angry, frustrated, sad, depressed, or upset about anything. You're not allowed to have any um, semblance of mental illness either. You have to encourage people. You have to encourage people, no matter what that means for you, no matter how it clashes with your own standards and your own personal ethics, you have to take the side of the people in your congregation, pretty much without exception, unless they're doing things like having affairs or doing things that are illegal or that go contrary to anything biblical. But all the things that are going on in their lives, you know, if you're dealing with um, an abused spouse, then you have to, you absolutely have to side with the abuser because you cannot tell that person get to get a divorce. That's just one example. And on the heels of that, you can never judge people, even, even when you know that the problems they're experiencing are being brought upon themselves. Even when you know the wounds are self-inflicted, you can never judge. You just have to be there to be their support, to be their covering, to be the one that tells them that it's going to be all right. All you need to do is pray and read your Bible and keep coming to church and God is going to reveal the answers to you. That's all you've got to offer them and that's all you will ever have to offer them. And if you step one toe out of line in that regard and you piss off somebody in the board or you piss off your pastor or you piss off that person's spouse, guess what? Let's just... Um, Go back a couple of spaces here and start talking about the whole resignation thing again.
even if you have practical advice to give, it had better be biblically based because guess what? Your own opinions and experiences do not matter. It's all what the Bible says, and it's all what God wants for that person at that time. And we talked a second ago about decreasing so he can increase. Let me tell you something, young person. You will learn precisely what it means to die to yourself, even if that means your health, your relationships, and your finances completely tank. You will learn. You will learn what that concept is and how dark and grisly and fucked up it is. I promise you, you will learn. And hopefully by the time you learn, it's not too late. Hopefully by the time you learn, you're not two decades in and you haven't spent all of that time making excuses for the shitty way that you've been treated and the shitty things that you've been made to do and the shitty way that you've been made to feel about yourself over time. Hopefully you learn it much, much quicker. I'm going to end off here with just a few bullet points, reasons why, and just to bring everything full circle, here are some of the top reasons why you shouldn't go into the ministry. Number one reason, number one reason is that someone else tells you and keeps telling you over and over and over and over again that you should. They have no business telling you any such fucking thing, and you can tell them to keep their opinions to themselves because if God wanted to tell you anything, he's capable. He's just too fucking lazy. Next, if someone else claims to speak for God about things that won't affect them as they apply to you. If they don't have any skin in the game, don't listen to anything they have to say because they do not have to deal with the consequences of you taking their advice. You do. Do not go into the ministry if you have future plans mapped out already. Do not forsake law school for Bible college. Do not forsake engineering degrees for Bible college. Do not forsake becoming an architect for fucking Bible college. Don't do it. If you already have plans, put them in motion. Put them in motion right now. If your God has plans to prosper you and not to harm you, do not change your plans. What you're thinking about right now is right. It will get you somewhere. This thing will not. Do not go into the ministry. If you even a little bit question any of your church's doctrine, because this is where I ran into trouble. I was too honest about certain things that I believed and didn't believe, and it ultimately cost me the quote-unquote opportunity to be in this elitist fucking fraternity called the Assemblies of God. It kept me out because I was too goddamn honest for those assholes. Do not go into the ministry if you are feeling coerced into making the decision, you know, like at every goddamn youth rally and every uh, youth convention and every youth retreat and every single time that they can get your attention for five fucking minutes to cram this down your throat again. If you're, if you're being coerced into it, then if you still insist on believing in God, you need to understand something here. It ain't coming from him. It's coming from these people. And if these are people who are already in the ministry, whether you understand it or not, and you will learn this as part of the process, if you continue going through it, but whether you realize it at this moment in time or not, let me clue you into something. Any person out there in the Assemblies of God in particular, and again, they all mimic each other, so I wouldn't be a bit surprised if this was an across-the-board thing, but in the bylaws of the Assemblies of God, it states clearly, 
that as a youth pastor in that organization, you are required, required to encourage young people to pursue lives of full-time ministry. Where is God in that? No one is saying, ask God if you should. They're saying, you just bloody fucking do this. Again, chew on that for a couple of minutes. These people aren't speaking for God, and they're arrogant enough to just put it right out there in black and white. You need to tell young people to do this. Not that God is telling them to do it, but, you know, that's a good angle, so use it if it works. But it's coming from a person. It is not coming from any God. I don't care if you are still dead insistent on believing in this this miscreant of a deity. Go ahead and believe in him if it floats your boat, but don't mistake what people are telling you for what comes from your God. Your God hasn't had much to say or do with humanity in a very, very long time, in case you haven't figured that out yet. And if you haven't, here's just a warning for you, young person. Life is going to teach it to you. Life will teach it to you, and the doubts will creep in. And again, hopefully it's not decades down the road the way that it was for me, where you walk away from something and just have this whole now what feeling about you for way too long. Don't let that happen, please. Think, think about the things that you believe and think about the way that people use, use this concept of God to get you to do things that they want you to do because that's really what it boils down to. Don't go into the ministry if your intuition tells you that this is a bad idea. Young person, listen, 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 listen. That is not the devil talking to you. That is your sense of logic and reason screaming at you to understand that what you think about this is right. It's a bad idea and you should listen to that voice. It is not Satan. It is not the devil. It's not unfounded fear or doubt. This is your brain trying to get you to salvage your life. Listen to it. Do not go into the ministry if you know that you don't have the personality or demeanor for it. God will not equip you. He will not change you. He will not guide you. He will not give you what you need to be successful. You will still be you and nothing but, and you deserve to be more. You deserve to give yourself more. Don't sit there waiting for some God to drop things in your lap. Go out there and get them. You're capable. You have your entire life ahead of you. Pursue the things you want to pursue. And don't shove a square peg into a round hole and try and do this thing knowing full well that you're not going to be able to do it. End of my internship, the night that I spoke and pursed my 300 bucks, um, 270 after tithes, I remember distinctly looking out at that congregation and it was one of the scariest moments in my pre-ministry life when I looked out at that congregation and I could not with a clear conscience say that there was a single face that I was looking at out there in those pews that I actually loved or even gave two shits about. And if that's you, be honest. Listen to yourself. This is not for you. You're going to be miserable. You're going to wind up angry, depressed with all kinds of post-traumatic stress and all the things that go along with those things. You are going to be miserable. Do something that affirms who you are, not something that tries to 
force you into a mold where you just don't fit. And on the heels of that, don't go into the ministry if you have difficulty feeling empathy for people whose lives are in chaos because of their own bad decisions and behaviors, because part of your job is to reassure them that everything's going to be okay despite the way that they fuck things up for themselves. Do not go into the ministry if you don't think you have the capacity to just love everyone in your church without judgment or condition, because guess what? That was me. I was never able to do that, and I knew I would never be able to do it, and it was the scariest part of the equation for me. When I looked out at that congregation that night, it was one of the scariest moments for me that I can remember in the entire odyssey that was my journey into and through and out of ministry. Do not go into the ministry if you don't have a sizable savings account or marketable skill to fall back on. Young person, listen to me. You're not going to make $48,000 a year or $78,000 a year or $100,000 a year. You're going to be lucky if they take you out to lunch once a month in a lot of these churches. Most of them can't afford it. A lot of them are, as we speak, dying of natural causes. And they will not be able to help you, even if they want to, even if you are lucky enough to get into a congregation that actually understands a thing or two about what Christian love should look like. Christian love will not pay your bills. And if they don't have the money, they're not going to be able to offer it. So make sure if this is something that you are absolutely going to insist on doing, that you have some way of taking care of yourself. Because if you don't, you are headed for ruin. I am 50 years old and will probably never be able to retire because of the decisions that I made when I was 15. Do not, do not put yourself in this place. I beg you. There is so much better out there for you. Pursue it. Do not, do not throw your life away on this. Do not go into the ministry if you have a tendency to question authority for reasons that I've already gone over. Do not go into the ministry if you have no plans to get married straight out of Bible college, because guess what? Shell and I got married way too early, and it's just a fluke thing that it worked. There's no logical reason why the things that we've gone through, the ways that we have evolved should have been so well in sync. There's no reason for it. It's just, it's logical and universal chaos that this actually worked. We are in the minority. Most of the people that we know who got married straight out of Bible college, some of them, their marriages worked and they were very young like us, but the vast majority of them wound up divorced. And guess what happens when you get divorced and you're in the ministry, especially in AG ministry, you are not allowed to be in ministry with the AG anymore. You're not even allowed to sit on a fucking board if you've been divorced and remarried, or if you have the audacity to marry someone who has been divorced and remarried, you don't get to be a pastor. You don't even get to be a fucking board member, okay? Keep these things in mind. And if you're gonna get married, get married for the right reasons. And I wanna fuck you isn't a right reason. You wanna fuck, fuck. Just get it over with. Because that's not what's gonna make, build, or sustain your relationship. And Regardless of what you're thinking about that other person right now, if you've already got your sights set on someone, if you're 20, 21, 25, even 25 years old, I would wager a guess that you don't know enough about yourself yet to know what you want in a lifelong partner. Do not let people coerce you into getting married because they somehow think that that's going to be some magical cure to you putting your dick in somebody in your youth group. 
because it's not, because we saw that happen too. And every time I saw it happen, the youth pastor in question was in fact married. Don't go into the ministry if you are not a people person in general. I've never been. I had no idea how I was ever going to pull it off. And, uh, you know, I, my people skills have improved a lot over the years. I, you know, honestly, I have no clue how I managed to pull out the diplomacy to deal with some of the situations that I do at the driving school. But I know from experience that I've gotten better at this over time. But I also know that it's something that I've had to work really, really hard on and, and work through in therapy and other ways. It's not something that I was born with. And if it's not something that you were born with, this is not for you. And lastly, to close things out tonight, don't do this if you have any sense of self-worth because you will cease to be you. You will cease to have any real say over anything that happens in your life. And if you try, there will be people out there that will either try to thwart the plans that you have for yourself they will dislike the plans that you have for yourself. They'll dislike your opinions. They'll dislike anything and everything about you. And they will make your journey through this thing called the ministry a living fucking hell. And it's not worth it. Start thinking better about your future. Start thinking about the decisions that you're making right now. Start thinking about whether or not you should derail your plans to do something meaningful with your life to go learn how to preach because that path leads to all kinds of things that will keep you from meeting your potential. The other path leads you in directions that will give you a snowball's chance in hell at being successful, having a few creature comforts along the way, being generally happy, but most importantly, figuring out who you are, liking the person that you are, and being satisfied with the life that you have. Because whether I can convince you to walk away from this thing called evangelical Christianity or not. If you can at least take five minutes of your time when we're done with this conversation to just mull over the things that I talked about tonight, I have hope for you. I have hope that you are able to understand and see reason. I have hope that you have enough self-worth to contemplate whether or not what I'm saying is true. And I hope that you'll understand that these words are coming from experience I didn't research this episode any further than the whole salary thing. I've spoken from my heart tonight because I just don't want to see you go through what I went through. It's not worth it. Take your life back and start getting unbound. hope you enjoyed this episode of Unbound. Show topics are chosen based on their timeliness, relevance, and social impact. Have suggestions for future topics? Email us at unbound.podcast.network at gmail.com with all your comments and feedback. Please don't forget to like, share, and throw a few five-star ratings our way and follow us on all major social platforms. And don't forget to hit subscribe if you haven't already. Links to our social pages as well as a full list of cited sources in today's episode are listed in the show notes available at our website, getunbound.org. That's get-unbound.org. If you value this resource and would like to see it continue, please consider supporting us on Patreon at the link in the show description. And be sure to check for new updates every Sunday when we'll come together again and take one more step toward getting and staying unbound. Unbound.